Please turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. We're going to finish 2 Thessalonians tonight. And next week we'll begin 1 Timothy. Tonight's theme is work is worship. We're going to be challenged with God's heart for us uh, to work and allow our worship to be seen inside of our work. So let's pray uh, together. Father, we thank you that you're with us. We thank you for your word. And as we are in the middle of a week and many of us exhausted and, and tired and physically, we just pray that you would renew us spiritually, our inward man. We're here desiring to learn of you, to, to grow in our work ethic, to, to grow in prayer. So, Father, we just invite the Holy Spirit. Would you send your Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us in truth? Would you empty us? Give us ears to hear, hearts to understand. We give you the distractions of the day. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things I'm so thankful for that my dad modeled to us was an excellent work ethic. He was an engineer, and he's now uh, retired. But I can remember him getting up very early in the morning, getting, getting ready for work, always heading out the door uh, to go to his job. His job was about, I would say, only a half a mile from our house in southern Oregon. It was a defense contracting job, so they would uh, do things for, for the government he was never really able to share exactly what they were doing at work because it was classified. We never got to go visit uh, his, his office or any of those uh, types of things. But I remember uh, sometimes I would catch him in the morning before he left, and if I had a dime, I would occasionally give, give Dad a dime because he would cost him 10 cents to get a cup of coffee. And I, I knew that, and so I'd say, Hey, Dad, get yourself a, a cup of coffee. Now most offices provide that for free, but that was back in the day uh, that you, you had to pay for your coffee 10 cents a, a cup. You know, his work ethic was such that there was no doubt that he was going to get up and go to work. Like, if he wasn't in the hospital, he was going to get up and, and go to work. And then when he was home, a lot of times he was working. He just enjoyed working in the yard, keeping the house up, maintaining the, the vehicles and, and those types of things. And with my dad, his, his actions really went before his words. That's the way he, he lived his life. Like he, he was outspoken with his actions, and then when he spoke, you tended to want to listen to him because it was consistent in the way that he, he lived his life. It says a lot to us on how we work. Our, our work can really be worship to the Lord. And not just what you do to earn a living, but the work around the house, uh, the work in God's church. I mean, we're constantly working. You know, work is a very big part of our life in, in whatever fashion and sector it is. And a lot of times we want to separate our spiritual life and what we would consider to be our secular life. So here's my spiritual life. It's my time in the Word. It's right here on a Wednesday night studying the Bible together. But God says that all of our life is spiritual, that everything that we can do, we do it wholeheartedly to the Lord. And what's your theology about work? What, what is your understanding of what God teaches us about work? Work was prior to the fall. Before the fall, we see that God gave Adam and Eve the task of tending the garden. That they were to rule and subdue. That God saw value being there in work. God in and of himself 
work before the fall, didn't he? God created. And so there's very much value you to, to work. When we get to heaven, it's not absence of work. Now, not in the fallen state that we experience today, but God's going to allow us to rule and reign with Christ. He's going to have things for us to do. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. A lot of uh, value is found and purpose is found in work. And, and through work relationships, this is the greatest means that the gospel can be shared with others. It seems like for some in the church of Thessalonica, they lost motivation for work. And it may have been because they were looking to the second coming of Jesus Christ and they're thinking, well, Christ is going to return, so there's no need to work. It's kind of like this idea, well, the rapture could happen, so I'm going to go ahead and run up my credit cards. It's not the right understanding of the rapture of the second coming of, of Jesus Christ. So this is the last thing that Paul has to clear up in this letter. Saying, okay, guys, it's really important how you work. So if you look at this chapter, look at it quick me, quickly with me in your Bible. Let's break it down into three sections. The first five verses is mutual prayer. Paul's asking for prayer, and he's communicating to the church that he's praying for them. And we learn the value of prayer, the importance of, of prayer. And then from verses 16 to verse 15 is this warning against idleness. And I'd encourage you to examine your heart tonight and allow the Lord to stir us up to say, am I getting idle in some area of my work at home or outside of the home, inside of the church, outside of the church? And then finally, Paul gives his farewell in verses 16 through 18. So the theme is roll up your sleeves and get to work. So verse 1, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified, just as it is with you. Paul begins his conclusion. He says, finally. All right, I'm I'm wrapping it up. I'm, I'm ending this letter that I'm writing to you. He says, pray for us. Pray for this team. Pray for your group of pastors, your spiritual leaders. And this is his request, that the word of God may run swiftly and be glorified. That the word of God would have full impact in Paul's life, and then that Jesus Christ would be glorified. And we would appreciate your prayers as a, as a pastoral team. We find it a real blessing to be able to pastor here at Rocky Mountain Calvary. And we would ask that you would be praying for us, that you would be lifting us up to prayer. We know that you're, you're praying for us. And I, I would love for you to pray this over this pastoral team. We talked about This weekend in Mark chapter 7, the importance of the Word of God and not twisting or changing the Word of God. So please pray specifically that in my life and the life of your pastors that God's Word would have its full effect. That there wouldn't be anything that we're doing to hinder the Word of God. That that God's work would find a home inside of us and then that Jesus Christ would be glorified. We want Christ to be glorified. What I appreciate about Paul is that he isn't too proud to ask for prayer. I think Paul really understood the value and the importance of prayer. So he was sincerely praying for others, and then he was sincerely asking for prayer. He's saying, I really desire that you would be praying this for us. And he says, just as it is with you, Paul's saying, I'm praying that God's word would run swiftly in your life, and that Christ would be glorified. So we can pray for one another in this. This is mutual prayer. And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have the faith. Isn't that true? If you study the ministry of Paul in the book of Acts, there were those that opposed him. 
And they came against him and they persecuted him. They were wicked. They were unreasonable. And so Paul's saying, pray that we would be delivered from these unreasonable men. He believed that prayer resulted in deliverance. That there would be a work of deliverance that would happen into his life because the church was praying for him. And I'm challenged by these sections of scriptures. Do I believe this about prayer? Do I think that prayer just goes up off the ceiling and then hits the floor? Or do I believe that prayer ascends to the throne room of God? Maybe you know of someone that they're going through a difficult time and they're dealing with a wicked person. And it seems like that there's a hindrance at taking place. Lift them up to the Lord. Pray that God would bring deliverance. And that's specifically what Paul is praying for. He understands that the battle is spiritual, not physical. It's not just about these unreasonable, wicked men. It's a spiritual battle. He knows the enemy is behind it. I love verse 3. But the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. This is a new church that's gone through some tough times, faced some false teaching, thought that they'd missed the coming of the Lord. And Paul's saying, look, God is faithful. They were going through persecution. God is faithful. Whatever you're going through in your life tonight, it seems like there's a lot of things happening in people's lives. A lot of things that are going on in the sense of difficulties inside of of this church family. The Lord is faithful. And we need to understand that for our own lives and be able to encourage one another. The Lord is faithful. He's continuing to work in your present situations. Hold on to that. And then this is God's promise. He will establish you. God's in the business of establish you. He established the church of Thessalonica. And also he's going to guard you from the evil one. So there's the reality of Satan, but there's the reality of God's protection that he is guarding us from the evil one, that he is protecting us. So that's what he's praying for the church of Thessalonica. I'm amazed at God's ability to establish, aren't you? His ability to take new believers and grow them deep in the Lord. His faithfulness to this church and other churches and to the body of Christ. He establishes and he guards in his faithfulness. In verse 4, And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the commands the things we commanded you. His confidence is in the Lord. He says, I know that God is going to finish that good work that he has started in you. God is a great completer. He's a great finisher. He's a great beginner. He starts things, but he also finishes things. And Paul adopts this attitude towards the church of Thessalonica, and he says, I'm confident. I'm confident in the Lord towards you. That you're going to be obedient in these things that we have instructed in you. Is your belief about your own life knowing that God has promised to complete the good work he started in you? Or do you feel responsible for it? Like, I didn't start this, but I've got to finish this. And then in believers that you love, are you confident that God is going to complete the good work that he started? And your spouse in your kids, in your grandkids, in your close friends, in this church family. The Lord will complete that what he started, and Paul is confident in those things. Now may the Lord direct your hearts in the love of God and into the patience of Christ. A great prayer. May the Lord guide. May he direct your heart. The heart's so important to the Lord. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart 
above all things because out of it flows the issues of life. Everything flows in and out of the heart. God, in describing a relationship that we have with him, says, love the Lord with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So Paul realizes it's important. Where is the heart of the church of Thessalonica? It needs to be guided. It needs to be directed. And there are so many things that are after your heart. There's so many messages that are after your heart. There's so many people that are trying to direct your heart. The enemy wants to direct your heart in a specific direction, but the Holy Spirit wants to direct your heart into what? Into the love of God. What's fascinating about this is the church of Thessalonica already knows the love of God. He's writing to believers. And here Paul's saying, I'm desiring that the Lord would take you deeper into the love of God. That he would give you greater guidance into who he is, into what he's done for you, the unconditional love of God. And so that's a great prayer to pray for one another. And as I ask for your prayer, I want you to know that we're praying for you. A couple weeks ago, we had that night of prayer and worship. The crosses were here. You wrote down things on cards, and we're continuing to lift those up to the Lord in prayer. And with, in, with prayer, who's perfect, right? Who prays enough? I don't feel like we, we pray enough as a pastoral team and a staff here for you, but we are praying for you. We start every day here in the office with prayer. And this is what we would desire, that God would take us deeper into the love of God. And then this last little phrase, consider it with me. And into the patience of Christ. So everybody's all for going deeper into the love of God. Yes and amen. But the patience of Christ... Patience also means endurance, the endurance of Christ. Pause here and turn over with me to Hebrews chapter 12. We'll come back to to verse 6. Hebrews 12, verse 3 and 4. Speaking of the endurance of Christ, the patience of Christ, how Christ endured in the midst of suffering. Hebrews 12, 3 and 4. For consider him endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not resisted to bloodshed striving against sin. So meditate upon the endurance of Christ and how he suffered against the hostility of sinners. Sometimes there's such atrocity that is committed against someone, oftentimes against children, and it just blows your mind. Like, how could anybody ever do that to a child? And we wrestle with that hostility of sinners, and we're sinners. We know what it is to sin, but somehow that's beyond the line. We go, I I can't even fathom or comprehend that. Imagine Jesus who has never sinned. He knows no sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us, so that we could become the righteousness of God. He took on the sin of the world. That means every sin that you can think of, every sin I've ever struggled with that's ever been committed under the sun, he took that upon himself. He wrestled with that. He endured through that. He finished the work work of the cross. He endured to the point where he hung upon the cross and what did he declare in victory? It is finished. 
we become weary, we become discouraged in our souls, the text tells us, when we fail to consider what Christ has gone through, when we fail to consider the endurance of Christ. This is where I get encouraged. Every cross that God allows us to bear, every suffering that we go through, every trial where there's a need for endurance, it takes us deeper into fellowship with Christ. We're just experiencing a little bit of what Christ went through. So God's directing our hearts into his love, and he's also directing our hearts into patience, the patience of Christ. I think it's healthy for us to know it's a long haul, isn't it? Our lives are short. They're vapor compared to eternity, but this is all we know, and this is all we've experienced. So it's a marathon. It's a long haul. It's a walk of endurance and patience of Christ. Let's go back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, and let's look at verse 6. This is a warning against idleness. This speaks to this issue of work and, and work ethic as we go through verses 6 through verse 15. But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the traditions which he received from us. This is a strong command. Most of the time in Scripture, we're encouraged to reach out to others, to connect with believers, to reach out to unbelievers. Amen? So when we read something like this, where it says, you need to not hang out with this person. You need to withdraw from this person who has disorderly conduct. What does that mean? In context of First and Second Thessalonians, it is these false teachers that had come in and got them to believe things that were contrary to the word of God. And he's saying, watch their lives, be able to identify them, that they're a wolf in sheep's clothing. They're out of ranks. That's what disorderly conduct means. And now you need to withdraw from them. And part of this text and what we're, we're reading is how to properly identify people, not for judgment, not for the purpose of I'm judging you and determining whether you're going to heaven or hell, but I'm identifying you to whether or not I'm going to allow you to be a spiritual leader in my life. So he's saying, okay, okay, here's somebody who's disorderly in their conduct. Here's somebody who's a false teacher, and you need to remove yourself from them. In verse 7, For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you. Paul says, okay, here's somebody that is a false teacher that you need to not be around. But Paul says, here, look at our lives. Our lives are an open book, and you find an example that you can follow. A lot of the way that we're to learn spiritually is by following example. We, we learn from Christ's example. We learn from Paul's example. God brings people into our lives, brothers and sisters in Christ, and we learn from, from their example. So just as you identify a false teacher, also identify, is there a Paul in your life? Is there someone who's, they're not perfect, but they've walked with the Lord longer than we have. They have a good godly example. They have a godly testimony. They have somebody that we should be able to follow and emulate in our lives as well. So Paul describes the way that he lived among the, the church of Thessalonica, the way that he did ministry, the way that he did life. Remember, he only was able to spend time with the church of Thessalonica briefly because he had to move on because of persecution. Verse 8, he says, Nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day, that we may not be a burden to any of you. Paul says, we didn't come in and ask for food. 
We didn't come in and ask for money. We weren't a burden to anybody, but we toiled night and day. How did Paul do this? What does he mean? What is he describing? Is he was a tent maker. He literally labored with his hands to build tents. I wonder what was the quality of his tents. I wonder if they would sell them at REI. Do you know what REI stands for? Return every item. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe not. Just trying to see if you're still with me. I bet they were good quality tents. I think Paul probably approached that time of laboring, building tents the same way that he did when he taught the word. When he sat down and listened to people and he loved people and he prayed for people. I get the sense that there was some tenacity about Paul's life that came out of his relationship with the Lord. Where he woke up today and he said, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to build these tents under Jesus. I see the value in, being, in building these tents. Through laboring with my hands, then I don't have to ask anybody for money. And he's saying, look at my work ethic. My work ethic is an example of my worship and an example for you to be able to follow as well. So what's, what's our work saying about our worship? Is it declaring the love of Jesus Christ? Verse 9 not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. Paul says, look, we have authority as apostles to be able to receive financially. He builds that case in, in the New Testament. But he's saying, I laid down that authority to be an example to you. Where do you think Christ learned this example of, or excuse me, where did Paul learn this example of laying down authority. You know where I'm going now. From Christ. Christ laid down his authority, didn't he? God in human flesh, but he came as a servant. Jesus didn't come to be a burden. He came to be a blessing. He came to serve. Paul's following in the example of Jesus Christ. How do you view your job? Do you go, man, you know, my, my job is just what I do to pay the bills. Have you viewed your job as your ministry? That's your ministry. You're on mission. You're in the mission field. You've probably heard this before, but you're the only Bible that some people are ever going to read. And to watch the way that you work and who you're working for can be a testimony of Jesus Christ. In the home, our kids are watching us, right? Well, why, why do you care about this? Why are you taking care of this? Why... Why are you unloading the dishwasher? Well, I'm doing this because of Christ. I'm doing this because he loves me. Jesus told us if you take a cup of cold water to a child in Jesus' name, you'll receive a reward from Christ. That's a pretty small thing, isn't it? Not to Christ. Some of you may be stay-at-home moms, and you're saying, I don't really relate to this because I don't have a job outside of the home. You have the toughest job inside of the home, Right? You are fully employed. You don't get sick days. You never get a bonus. You don't get a cost of living raise. Some of you moms, you're fully engaged at home, plus you're working on top of that. Dads, you're, you're working. Hopefully you're fully engaged at home. 
whatever our hands find to do, that we can do it unto the Lord? Who is it that God's put into our lives simply by working alongside of them? It's one of the best ways to get to know people when you're doing work with them, in the home, outside of the home, in the church, outside of the church. As we served together at the Harvest Gathering, we got to know each other, didn't we? Because we worked together. So here you are doing your work with someone who's a believer or unbeliever. You're going to spend a lot of time with them. And you may not be very happy about that. You've been doing everything you can to get away from that person. Lord, please, assign me to a different job. And I know some of you have a name because you're wearing it on your forehead right now. Some of you are really shaking your head. You're like, I've been praying that for a long time. You're exactly where God wants you to be. And do that work unto the Lord. Lay down the authority for that example of being a servant like Christ. Verse 10, For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. What's God's answer for provision for our basic needs that we would work? This is if you have an able body. If God's blessed you with an able body to be able to work, then go for it and do it. If you don't have an able body, this isn't speaking to you. This isn't saying, well, your body's failed physically, so you shouldn't be able to eat. This, this is speaking to someone who God's given the physical ability to be able to work. Do you see how important work is to the Lord? So when a brother or sister of Christ comes to us, and they have an able body, but they're not willing to work, it, it's more than they are working, but they have a need. It, it, it's a crisis. This isn't a crisis moment. This is saying, look, I'm completely healthy. I have the ability to work. It's not that I'm unemployed or I can't find a job. I'm just too stubborn to go to work, but I want you to pay my bills. What's our response to that in love? If you aren't willing to work, you don't get to eat. So if you want to eat, here's some work to do because God sees value in work. Apparently, there were some in the church of Thessalonica who were able-bodied and had the opportunity to work, but they said, I don't want to. I'm not going to do it, and I'm expecting the church, out of Christian love, to take care of me. And Paul says, look, while we were there, we commanded you and said, if you don't work, then you shouldn't eat. So it, it raises the bar for work. It shows us the great value in work. In verse 11, For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. So they have no desire to work, but they have every desire to be in everybody else's business. This is causing big problems inside of the church of Thessalonica. Paul says, no, you got to knock this off. You need to get to work and you need to quit being in everybody else's business. What is one of the blessings of work? Is it keeps us on track, doesn't it? It keeps me out of everybody else's business. When we're challenged in work, I think that there is a good level of challenge that we need to have in our lives because it it keeps us engaged with the Lord. It keeps us moving forward. If not, we find ourselves in the wrong place. It's been said that idle hands are the devil's workshop. He knows exactly what to do when our hands get idle, when we don't have the appropriate level for work. We find ourselves getting into that place of being, being a busybody. This could really free us up to realize what are we responsible for? We're responsible for our relationship with the Lord. Responsible for our family. We're responsible to work hard. But guess what? Outside of that, that's between them and the Lord. 
I don't need to know everything about their marriage. I don't need to know everything about their finances. I surely don't need to be going around talking about it. I need to love them in the Lord and focus on what God has, has called me to do, what he's called me to be responsible over. In verse 12, Now those who are such we commanded and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. There's something that's extremely valuable about these two things, quietness and your own bread. You know, it's wonderful to receive a gift, but it's also wonderful to work hard and to work hard all day long to get a paycheck, to know that God's given you the ability to work. You are a faithful steward of that. Go to the store and buy some groceries, huh? And sit down and in a good way, go, this is my own bag of Doritos right here. Not that I'm willing, not that I'm not willing to share. Not that I don't acknowledge that it's the Lord, but there's some sweetness to hard work, isn't there? And the provision that comes through that. And when we haven't worked hard and we're shortchanging work and we're shortcutting, we become idols, the Holy Spirit begins to to convict us and to be able to to be quiet and to be still. He's saying, look, I don't want you to be a busybody, but I want you to work hard, be, be quiet, and be able to to eat your own bread. The two go hand in hand. When I'm working really hard, and I'm on task with the Lord, and what he has for me in my family, and what he has for me here in the ministry, I tend to enjoy a good, quiet meal. I tend to go home and rest really well. Why? Because I've worked hard. When I'm not in the right place, I'm beginning idle, not applying myself in work, it's much easy to get to that place where my soul is not in quietness and peace with the Lord. Good encouragement for verse 13. But as for you, he's, he's speaking to the church of Thessalonica. He says, there's a contrast with you guys, brethren. Don't go weary in doing good. I know for many of you tonight, though you're not perfect in your work, you are doing good in your work. This is the attitude that you have towards work. Is it's under the Lord. And God sees, and don't get weary in doing good. Something that we don't talk about a lot, it came up in our men's conference this weekend, on the Saturday teaching, is the Bema Seat judgment. It's this judgment for believers. Not to whether you go to heaven or hell, but it's judging the work of our lives. It's judging what we've done for the Lord. And some is precious gems, and some's wood, hay, hay and stubble. So God sees, and he's going to reward for that work that you do unto him. Maybe you go, you know, my boss doesn't see. My boss doesn't appreciate it. I work under the Lord, and I keep getting demoted. And that knucklehead, he keeps getting promoted, and he has a terrible work ethic. Well, you're working for the Lord, and God's a debtor to no one, and he's going to reward you in, in eternity. You're serving faithfully in your home. And you're saying, you know, my spouse doesn't appreciate it. My kids don't appreciate it. They throw it in my face. The Lord sees it. The Lord knows. It's valuable to God. Keep doing it unto the Lord. You may be saying, man, I'm serving in the church. I'm laboring in the church. And I've never gotten a thank you. I've never even gotten a a $10 gift card to the cafe or the bookstore. You know, this church is so stingy. I mean, I've done this forever. You know, I... I've taught kids for for 20 years in the same church. I don't even think anybody notices. The Lord notices. Don't get weary in doing good. The reward is is coming. Don't give up. But there's times that we are weary, aren't we? All of us get weary in doing good. 
What do we do tonight if we're in one of those places where we say, you know, I'm weary. I'm not tired of the work. I'm tired in the work. Ever been there? I know that this is important. I know that God wants me to be doing this and doing this unto the Lord, but I'm just tired and I'm wore out. Matthew 11. Turn with me over to Matthew chapter 11. Jesus knew that we would be in this place of weariness. Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. His invitation to us. Come to me, all you who labor and you're heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What are the requirements to be able to come to Jesus? Are you wore out? Do you have a burden that you can't carry? Come to me, all. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. A yoke is two oxen being linked together by a piece of wood that was handcrafted to go around their necks. There would be a lead oxen and then a younger oxen who would follow the lead oxen. And Jesus is saying, be linked up to me. Allow me to be the lead oxen. Allow me to carry the burden. It might look like something like this. God, you've blessed me with this job. You've blessed me with the ability to be able to do it. You know I'm tired. You know, I'm not looking forward to going back tomorrow. But you're God. You're my Savior. You're the lead oxen. You're present at my job. So I'm going to follow you at work tomorrow. And I'm going to work for you. God, you've blessed me with this family. You've blessed me with this home. You've blessed me with these things that need to be taken care of in the home. There's work to be done here. I'm kind of tired of it. Wish I could go back to renting, but I'm a homeowner. So here I am, Lord. Please provide. Let, let's do this. I'll follow you in the midst of this. Learn, learn of me. Take, take my yoke upon you. For I'm gentle and lowly in heart. This is the only place in the words of Christ that we have an autobiographical statement of Christ. He's describing himself. He says, I'm meek, I'm lowly, I'm gentle, I'm lowly, I'm approachable, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When we're in this place of what Christ asks from us, it's easy and it's light. Don't be weary in doing good. If you're weary in doing good tonight, come to Jesus. Trade in your burden for his yoke and find rest for your soul. I won't go into all the detail, but about five weeks ago, we got into an unexpected home project at our house, speaking of work. Ever had one of those? You know, sometimes you have the planned out home projects, and those are stressful enough, but this kind of began with a shower in our, in our basement where the drain wasn't working, it was leaking, so it's like, okay, we've got to do some work in this bathroom. So we've been remodeling the bathroom and getting towards the end of the project and, and working on it on my days off and hiring out different portions of it. We're, to, we're right down to the end. And I have this idea. It's a basement floor bathroom. This is why I'm a pastor, not a handyman. But that I'm going to go ahead and paint the concrete floor instead of putting in tile. 
and because the concrete floor is in good condition and get some good industrial floor paint because we like concrete floors. So in learning in this process, you've got to sand the floor first to be able to, to get it scratched up so this good industrial paint would adhere to it. So, so Donnie was kind enough to loan me a, a buffer, a floor buffer, and on the bottom you got this scratch pad on it. And I've never really used a buffer before. I, you know, I know I'm buff, but I've not used a buffer. And it's a pretty small bathroom, and the, the buffer's de- decent size. And, and so I begin to use it, and I'm like flying into the wall, like, like my first couple times. And this is a big event in the family, so the family's sitting at the doorway watching, watching this go on. And I get the hang of it, thankfully. And, and now I'm starting to go. and I'm getting comfortable. And that's what I've learned. That's when you've got to be on guard with the buffer. So when you, you know, it's probably now 20, 30 minutes into this. I'm about finished. I want to go back to this area and get it one more time. And it's right in front of the new shower with, with the tile on the shower. And sure enough, I hit it. And it gets away from me. And I crack one of the bottom tiles. And I was not seeing work as worship at that moment. And I was so frustrated. I was just like, oh, man. And I was like, oh. And I go up the stairs and take a little walk down the street. And like, okay, I'm going to get myself composed here. Work is worship. No, I wasn't even anywhere close to thinking that, right? It's pray a little bit. It's like, okay, I got to just keep moving forward. And popped out the tile and put a new one in. And ended up being like a a $12 fix and wasn't, wasn't the end of the world. And now the floor is painted and it's drying and the, and the world will move on. But this message sounds really good, doesn't it? That work is worship and don't get weary in doing good. That's in a perfect world where there's no problems at work. But if it's work in the home, it's work in the church, it's work in your, in your job, anything that we're applying ourselves with work, it's fallen, isn't it? And so unless our focus is on Christ and we're walking in his yoke, we're going to fall short in this area and there's going to be frustration. Can you relate with that? There's going to be tough days at work. There's going to be things that don't work at home. And so God, I think, is using work to humble us and keep us dependent upon the Lord because there'll be challenges. And in the midst of those challenges, when you get frustrated and you get to this place, that's when we're able to come to Christ and to take his yoke upon us. Let's finish up the chapter, verse 14 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 14. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed. What is Paul talking about in context? He's talking about working. He's saying if anyone among you decides after reading this that they're able to work and they don't want to work, this is a big enough deal to Paul where he says don't even hang out with them. Because then they'll feel isolated, they'll feel ashamed. So for the purpose that they would begin to work, that they would then be able to enjoy fellowship. Verse 15, yet don't count them as an enemy, but admonish them as a brother. So don't get spiteful in this, don't get judgmental in this. The whole purpose is for them to grow. He's really talking about church discipline here for someone who is unwilling to work. The chapter ends up with this. Now may... The Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. What a great way to end up this section on work. 
Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. Church, God wants you walking in peace. He wants us experiencing peace. And every aspect of our work, in those moments of frustration, to go to the Prince of Peace and to walk in peace, for him to give us peace himself. Not the situation, not anything else, but Christ himself. The salutation of Paul with my own hands, which is a sign in every epistle, so I write. So Paul, in his letters, would dictate it, someone else would write it down, and then he'd sign off in his own handwriting. He leaves us here in verse 18. Now the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. God's favor. His unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor. I'm convinced that God's grace is much bigger than we realize. And Paul's saying, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Three questions and we're done tonight. First is, how do we view prayer? How do I view prayer? Do we believe in prayer enough to ask for it and to commit to pray for others? Paul did. He believed in mutual prayer. He said, would you please pray for me? I need it. And I'm committed to praying for you. And I'll put myself in that basket. I'm praying for you. Please be praying for me. Let's pray for one another. The power of mutual prayer. How do we view work? Come on, be honest. I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. How do we view it? Is it worship? Is it an opportunity to glorify God? Is it an opportunity for our kids, our grandkids, and future generations to get a window into our soul and our character? Say, I don't have kids. Is it an opportunity for everybody who views your life to get a view into your soul? I do believe it's important for us to speak the truth, to speak the gospel, to say it, to declare it. But many times it's going to be our actions that give us the opportunity to be heard. A good work ethic. It goes so far. It's so important to the Lord. How do we view work? I would imagine that you probably have some work to go home to tonight. It's maybe some dishes in the sink, maybe some trash in the trash cans. If you've got young kids, they're more than likely to have a poopy diaper before you put them to bed, right? We're all going to wake up to some type of work in the morning. And what's our theology, our attitude about work? Say, Lord, I'm going to do this unto you. And then how do we view church discipline? We didn't spend a lot of time talking about it, but it's in this chapter. Paul says, look, there's a false teacher. Mark them, don't walk around with them. If there's somebody that's not willing to work, don't hang out with them until they start being willing to work if they're, they're able to. I think we need to have a lot of compassion for somebody who's going through something physically that prevents them from working. That is so discouraging, isn't it? They want to work. They have a heart to work. They've worked hard their whole life, but all of a sudden, now they've lost their health. And either for a season or for a long period, they're not able to work. That's not what we're talking about. This is someone who's able-bodied, that has the opportunity. You know, Have compassion on someone who's not able to find a job. But if someone has a job right in front of them, they say, no, I'm not, I'm not willing to, to do it. Then Paul says it, it's important for church discipline. 
And the discipline is then to bring them to a place of growth and walking in greater unity and with the body of Christ. So let's stand together and let's pray and pray that God would help us uh, apply these things to our lives. All right, if you're weary tonight in some aspect of your work, personal or professional, home or vocational, is I want to give you an opportunity to come to the Lord and experience refreshment from the Lord. Jesus is here. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hear his invitation for you to come to him. If you're heavy laden and find rest for your soul. So let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you're here with us. We desire to hear your invitation. Come to me, all you who are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If you're in that place tonight, for one reason or another, you're wore out, you're tired, you're getting weary and doing good, come to Jesus. Hear his voice. Spend a moment with him. Draw near to him. Give him the burden that you're carrying. Take his yoke upon you. Jesus, we invite you into our work. We invite you to be that lead oxen. We want to follow you in the work. We don't want to take it upon ourselves. Would you take our, our weariness, our anxiety, would you replace it with your rest? A rest that can only come from you. I encourage you tonight just to continue to wait upon the Lord in this attitude. Don't, don't stop this moment of prayer. Cry out to the Lord in worship and communion and draw near to him. He'll be faithful to draw near to you. So Jesus says that we wait upon you tonight. Would you meet us in a fresh way? As we've studied the word, we now want to meet with you, Jesus, the living word. Would you bless this time in Jesus' name?